0: This is available as a podcast and a webinar.
1: This conference will now be recorded. All right, good afternoon and welcome to uh, our part two of our limited jurisdiction updates. We did promise that we would do this after the rules meeting, the Supreme Court rules meeting in August, and so here we are, uh, and I'm joined once again by a Maricopa County presiding Justice of East, Anna Huberman. And uh, there, the packet was updated. I sent up that updated packet yesterday. Uh, so hopefully you do have that. There are just a couple of additional slides and a couple of additional attachments. All right, so this does not replace part one Uh, There's a part one and a part two, and most of this is going to be new. some of it is repetitive because we're going to have some major changes coming up, Uh, so we do recommend that you watch or listen to part two. And we also have Judge uh, Jim Blake's case law review. He does that annually. That is available as a podcast and a webinar as well. And on Friday, about 1:15, the interest rate did get published, and uh, so the new prime rate went to 6.25%. That means the new legal interest rate in Arizona is 7.25%. Remember, when you enter a judgment, it must have a numerical interest rate; it cannot just say uh, the uh, legal interest rate. And if you do have a stipulated judgment, you should leave that the straight is stipulated or else it's no longer a stipulated judgment. All right, Judge Huberman?
0: Okay, I know that uh, for any of you who have been attending any of these update classes, we've been talking a lot about the uh, change to the presumptions of virtual and uh in-person proceedings and the order this month was uh signed by uh judge welty so it is administrative order it's uh this is a maricopa county administrative order uh 2022-19 and it includes the chart of which hearings are presumed Virtual and which ones are presumed in person. As we go through this presentation, uh, we'll talk about each one of those uh, hearings, uh, what the presumption is uh, for them. Uh, But I I will say that the rule of thumb for everyone should be that in general, most hearings are presumed virtual. Anything that is evidentiary in nature uh, has witnesses. Uh, are to be presumed in person. So the the legislation from this past legislative session went into effect on this past Saturday. The, the newspaper I think said there were 80 or 90 legislative changes. Uh, we're just gonna go through <laughs> the ones that affect us the most. Um, but there are a lot of changes. If anyone is interested, it was in the Arizona Republic on, on Saturday. or I'm sure you can look them up. Another big change for us is that the orders of protection, starting on Saturday, which actually means starting today, uh, if they were issued by our, if they were served uh, by our court, actually if they were served by the constable over the weekend, uh, they're now valid for two years instead of one year. Uh, so, up until now, we all should have been telling uh, the defendants that, or the plaintiffs of an order of protection, that if it was served after the 24th, it would be valid for two years. We no longer have to do that because now they will automatically be for two years. But that's just for orders of protection, um, not injunctions. And then going back to the administrative order, all requests for orders of protection. Uh, or any type of injunction are presumed to be conducted remotely but, and this is specifically in the order, if the plaintiff appears at the courthouse they should be seen in person. Uh, so those plaintiffs that are making use of AZ Point, uh, those uh, we should do conduct their hearings remotely if they call in um, and if they're at the court we should not send them home to do it on AZ Point, we should uh, hear their cases uh, in the court on the day they came. And then the hearings or requests to modify or dismiss orders of protection or injunctions are presumed to be in person. The concern here was that the judge be able to verify that the person requesting the dismissal uh, is the 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 actual blanket? All right, uh, thank you. And uh, so, as Judge Huberman
1: indicated, Sorry, I the, ahead. the orders of protection are uh, now since you're going to serve it's going to be served after September 24. It is going to be valid for two years. Uh, those who do issue emergency orders of protection, those now will expire in seven days rather than in 24 hours all right and i wanted to spend some time on the new lifetime injunction this is not an injunction against harassment it's not an order of protection this is a brand new statute it's founded 13-719 and what it provides is uh, on the request of the victim or the prosecutor at sentencing the court is required issue an injunction that prohibits the defendant from contacting the victim if the defendant is convicted of a dangerous offense that is a felony a serious offense or violent or aggravated felony as defined in 13706 or a felony offense that is a sexual offense or a sexual exploitation of children Uh, the reason i have that language in red you'll you'll see in a moment uh because the question is uh does felony also uh does that also refer to the serious offense um everything here is a felony uh there are two tiny part um, parts of serious offense that might not be felonies but I, I think that uh arguably this was intended to refer only to felonies the injunction is effective immediately and it is valid for the defendant's natural life uh so it will abate when the uh, defendant dies and uh, a victim is authorized to submit a petition to the sentencing court requesting an injunction against a defendant who was sentenced for one of these specified offenses uh, so it, it's not going to come to you if you were not the sentencing judge and so since most of these are felonies they shouldn't be coming to us uh, and how it does affect us is that it did eliminate the extra definition of harassment that was added just last year for victims of defendants convicted of committing crimes so we're back to two instances uh, or a series of events of uh, that constitute harassment or one sexual offense uh, that victim uh, that victim portion is gone there is an interim procedure because uh, uh, there is no rule or forms yet as far as i know for those um, prior sentencing hearings again The victims can petition the court uh, if they were previously sentenced for, if um, they were the the victim of someone convicted of those offenses in the past, they can now petition the sentencing court for a lifetime injunction. But that process isn't totally uh, completed yet. I did attach the administrative order. That's one of the things I added to your packet. So here's 13706, serious offense. Everything is a felony except possibly E, sexual assault, or F, any dangerous crime against children. Again, I'll say if if it's a serious enough offense to warrant a lifetime injunction, it probably should have been charged as a felony, Uh, but I'm, I'm putting it out there just in case you see it. All right, so the crime of harassment was also amended. Uh, there were several tweaks to the definition of the crime of harassment and that does include one false report to law enforcement and again this is to the crime of harassment not to the definition of injunction of harassment Uh, this does amend the felony definition for aggravated harassment to include violation of any order of protection injunction emergency order of protection or the uh, violation of a condition of release by contacting a harassment victim Uh, so that uh, they have uh, beefed up the definition of harassment it does affect orders of protection because harassment is one of the domestic violence acts and so this does uh, provide that uh, the person knowingly and repeatedly commits an act or acts that harass another person or the person knowingly commits one of the following acts in a manner that harasses, and that's contacts another person, follows a person in public after being asked to desist, uh, surveils or causes another person to surveil, makes a false report to law enforcement, uh, or interferes with the delivery of a utility. Uh, so, the, and number four, uh, I think we need to be careful with because. Um, people are entitled to call law enforcement uh, whether it rises to the level of being a false report um, we, we may have to have a serious hearing on that uh, but that is one of the changes and that is now relevant for a def- definition of domestic violence harassment and rule petition r220030 uh, does make the changes to uh to Uh, match the changes in law and it does change uh, rules 25 and 26 uh, to to take effect upon service but they still expire one year after the original service for modified injunctions. That was adopted on an emergency basis and the Supreme Court will rule on making those changes permanent in December. Since they're based on the statute, you can probably expect that they will be made uh, permanent. Another matter that the supreme court is going to consider in december an asu professor filed a petition to clarify the definition of harassment for injunctions uh, to require only that the most recent act in a series of acts um, have have occurred within the previous year uh, the rules do seem to indicate that um, the acts of harassment have to have been in the last year the statute does not seem to indicate that uh so it is possible that this this could be adopted in december and only one of the acts necessary for an injunction against harassment may have to be have been committed in the last year and we'll let you know what happens after december
0: and i'll turn it back to you judge huberman your sound is off all right back to evictions Um, The administrative order indicates um, that the presumption for the appearance in eviction cases is actually as per statute. Um, This was changed legislatively, uh, that if one participant uh, provides notice of their intent to participate by phone or video, uh, then that the judge uh, must allow that. Uh, all landlord attorneys are appearing virtually, so um, all of our eviction actions are uh, are being done virtually. Um, the, the, the this new statute went into effect on Saturday. Uh, that's the ceiling of eviction record. So for any case where the action is dismissed prior to the entry of judgment, or if a judgment is entered. In favor of the tenant, those cases must be sealed. Uh and this applies to any type of eviction, forcible or uh special detainer. Um and um uh, it's all cases where this happens after uh Saturday, so starting today. Um, the in, in Maricopa County, we have actually um, automated the, the the sealing of the records. So if any of the triggering events occur, uh, which is the case is dismissed and, or a notice of dismissal is presented, um, and we've also included cases where a judgment is vacated and dismissed even after it's been entered, um, those cases are automatically be be sealed in our ISIS system. Uh, So what's most important is that the events get timely entered into ISIS, and then they will automatically be sealed. Um, In my court, for example, we have a standing administrative order now that says that any case that falls within the guidelines of this statute um, is ordered uh, sealed when any of those events occurred. I don't think all courts are doing that. So you might want to be sure um, if you're a pro tem working in someone else's court to know if you need to order the ceiling, put a stamp order in the ceiling or whatever the process that court is using. And then the filing of answer fee, the, the, the answer fee has gone away as of Saturday. So you no longer have to inform the tenants uh, that they can file a waiver if they want to file an answer because there will be no answer fee. Um, and then the, this, I guess this will be expected to be made permanent in December. It is, uh, it is a rule just conforming to to legislation. And then we had this rule petition uh, that was a little more broad than the statutory change as to sealing eviction actions. Um, and this rule wouldn't be up and right now, there's a distinction between judges that are judgments, I'm sorry, that are vacated or judgments that are satisfied. Um, and this new rule would make that all judgments once they're satisfied or the uh garnishment has been discharged would be eligible to be sealed uh this this the the rules group did not make a decision on this rule uh and it got moved to the december rules agenda so yes just like that All right, and then uh, as to the criminal cases in the order as to virtual appearances, um, initial appearance arraignment, raymond pretrial conference, uh, oral arguments on motion settlement conference are presumed to be conducted remotely, uh, as well as changes of pleas and sentencing. Uh, but the judge may order the person to appear in person if the circumstances of the case, uh, warrant uh, an appearance in person, and then trials, anything that's evidentiary hearing, bench trial, jury trial, probation violation, and dispositions um, would be presumed to be conducted in person. As you can see, paragraph one does talk about evidentiary hearings are presumed to be conducted remotely. We think that was placed in there by error, Um, And I'm actually going to be asking Judge Welty to remove that to subsection C because if it's an evidentiary hearing, it would require witnesses and witness appearances are presumed to be in-person. And then order to show cause proceedings are presumed to be removed. Uh, This this statute that has a delayed effect to January 1st uh, removes the prohibition and the state can now dismiss DUI charges um, without having to give an, a legal or factual basis to change it. Um, and then the courts did have an obligation to report those dismissals, so that reporting uh, obligations also, also went away. And then as to the jury, um, the, the jury rules had already have been approved um, temporarily and now they have been made permanent, but there are some modifications uh, in the rule. Uh, what, 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 you know, if if you go through the rule, they they separate each different type of case. So we have um, criminal cases, uh, civil trials under the Justice Court's rule, civil procedure. And eviction trials, which are the ones that we deal with in the justice court, um, but in general, the 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 they're all very very similar. Uh, that it's important to explain to the jurors uh, what the the what the process is, why it's being done, um, and how the court and the parties will use the information they have um, as to the uh, as to the personal information. All of those three uh, case types uh, do allow that the parties may submit a request for written vaudeira, uh, so the jurors may be given a written uh, questionnaire to fill out. Um, I have not heard that anyone has requested that in any Justice Court case, um, and from what I've heard, there really hasn't been any of the concerns that we had with the challenges for cause taking up more time than expected. So, um, but just to be aware that if there is a written uh, questionnaire, then the explanation of the purpose of the voir dire has to be in that written questionnaire also. Um, and then... Uh, the court should permit the liberal and comprehensive examinations, try not to impose time limits to the questioning, allow them to be able to get to the questions because there's no longer uh, any peremptory challenges. So they should be able to get their questions answered if they're concerned about challenges for cause. And then the, this new rule establishes that um, when a probationer appears, the court has to make the release determinations. Um, the in the justice courts or in the limited jurisdiction courts, uh, if there's a probability that the probationer will get a term of incarceration, uh, then they can uh, establish that they remain detained as their conditions are released um, and and if not just make sure that they will, uh, that that the release conditions are such uh, to assure that the probationer will appear or to protect the victim. And that's the end for me. All right, and rule package 210051,
1: was adopted effective January 1, 2023 and what this says is when you're making release determinations the defendant is entitled to an attorney if the defendant is held on bond at the uh, initial appearance that doesn't mean the attorney has to be present at the initial appearance Um, rather they do have to be available at their next court date and it has to be no more than 10 days so if they're still in custody on a bond after 10 days the court must determine whether to amend the release conditions and it may hold an oral argument or evidentiary hearing to make that determination and then r 220002 uh, is with uh, has two things um, first it, it there, there's an entirely new rule 2.6 on no knock warrants and this is going to be effective March 1 2023 now luckily at The justice courts, we don't get a lot of requests for search warrants, and and I'm not aware that any of us have gotten any no-knock warrants. Some of the other jurisdictions, you may get this. Uh, And so you do need to read this rule carefully uh, and ensure that um, it is appropriate for a a no-knock warrant. This uh, rule package also does have new reporting requirements. I I didn't include it on the slide. but you should review this uh this rule petition with re- if you do no knock warrants and and we're going to get additional direction on the reporting requirements before this will take effect so um, we'll we'll come back to this eventually and then uh, restoration of civil rights was in R 220032 that does implement house bill 2119 um, This wasn't acted on in the August Supreme Court meeting, but they did act it on September 15th. And so they did adopt that on an emergency basis. And again, they're gonna look at making it permanent in December. And the biggest change for limited jurisdiction is it does amend the forms to explain restorations of rights. And we are gonna have to inform on the record of the right to the restoration of civil rights when we are sentencing. And then 10 print fingertips uh, fingerprints we've talked about this uh, a lot Uh, this has caused a lot of of, uh, upset tummies uh, because the list of uh, requiring 10-point fingerprints is getting much longer uh, and and it's not entirely settled Uh, the aoc is still in the process of identifying exactly what statutes will apply i mean the issue is the legislature did include Um, uh, Crimes that uh, may question someone's honesty, uh, and so that could be potentially anything. Uh, We do have an Excel list that's extremely long uh, that this may refer to. Again, the AOC is going to um, narrow that down for us somewhat, and we're also going to, to the extent possible, automate that as well.
0: Well, if, if I may, the automation will be for court staff mostly. It will pop up a banner uh, indicating that this is a case that requires fingerprint, so they can include the fingerprint order in the file. Um, I don't know that as judges we'll be able to, we don't use ISIS, so we won't have access to that information. Um so, but 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 just the idea that at least we can that the, the the clerks can get the notification, so we don't need to memorize that whole list.
1: If, as long as you have the clerk in the court with you, All
0: right? And
1: um, rule emergency rule petition twenty two zero zero two nine was were um, for the criminal statutory changes that does address the 10 print it, it addresses the release conditions it did amend several forms and it did add a new release condition uh, again that's been adopted on an emergency basis because it's it's uh, mirrors the statute statutory changes and the supreme court will make uh, that permanent in december and so this is a, a 10 point a 10 print fingerprint required that is in the forms packet it, Uh, which is part of rule 41 and it's form 3a so we'll take a look at that when that is finalized and they do have a new condition of release uh, because if you watched part one then you know that if somebody has committed an animal one of uh, several animal crimes in the past then you do have to check box number 11 that they're not to possess or have any contact with any animal all right and some of the and i get a lot of questions about this and this has not gone into effect yet this was actually uh passed in 2021 uh so we've had about a year and a half to to get ready for this or we will have a a year and a half by january 1 Uh, but this is the sealing of criminal records uh we we've started sealing eviction records and starting on january 1 we're going to have to seal criminal records uh this um so uh we will have new statute 13911 defendants can apply to have the record sealed judges will be required to mention this on the record when sentencing and to provide a notice in writing so we're going to have to change our forms we're going to have to do more um, when we're sentencing And there will be a new rule uh, They've adopted a new rule uh, to address this. They can file a petition if they have completed all terms and conditions of the sentence, if they've been found not guilty or had the charges dismissed, or if they were arrested, but no charges were filed. And the defendant may apply no sooner than three years for a class one misdemeanor, two years for a class two misdemeanor or a class three misdemeanor after the completion of probation or discharge of the sentence i put petty offenses there in in uh, with a question mark because they did not put a time frame uh, for when you can apply to seal a petty offense Uh, so perhaps you you ironically cannot seal a petty offense but you can seal um, every other misdemeanor and many felonies if they had an intervening felony conviction and they have to wait another five years before they can apply to seal Uh, so when we do get these we're going to have to look very carefully as to whether the person is really going to be eligible to have their criminal record sealed they cannot have had any subsequent convictions except for non-dui title 28 convictions Uh, so a subsequent conviction or a dui uh, We'll, we'll um, put the kibosh on that. Uh, 13.911 does list several disqualifying dangerous felonies uh, and also any offense that has any of the following as an element of the offense. Uh, the discharge use or threatening exhibition of a deadly weapon or dangerous instrument or the knowing infliction of serious physical injury. Once a criminal record has been sealed, it can still be used as a prior, or it can still be used to enhance the sentence, and it can still be used to impeach. That petition to seal must be filed in the court where they were convicted or where the initial was done if no charges were filed. If a complaint was filed in justice court, but the information was filed in superior, then the petition must be filed in superior court. If there was no IA, then it gets filed in superior court. The state and the victims have 30 days to respond uh, so make sure that you've allowed them the opportunity to respond you cannot grant this while other criminal charges are pending so we're really going to need to look carefully at whether this person is entitled to have their criminal charge uh, sealed and then the court does not have to hold a hearing unless the petitioner state or victim requests one uh, if you do have a hearing, then you must allow the victims to be heard. And you must grant an application to seal a criminal record if it is, if it is in the best interest of the petitioner and the public safety. If you deny it, that is appealable. Uh, rule petition r twenty two zero zero twenty eight adds new rule 36.1, and that was adopted on a on an emergency basis and uh, the court will rule on its permanence in December and this is a clickable link here Uh, the AOC has put up a nifty website uh, that um, for self-represented litigants to walk them through the process Uh, and there is a lot of good information in there that will set that out so uh, I, I do recommend that you click on that link and that you check out that website all right, we will talk briefly about juveniles uh, and the administrative order. Does order that all juvenile proceedings and ID hearings are presumed to be in person. Remember that for juveniles, we need a parent or a parent or guardian present as well, uh, unless uh, uh, they um, have that they don't have a parent or guardian, or there are special circumstances. And there were two bills that. Um, that both passed that took care of the problem that was created last year when the legislature accidentally made it a requirement to appoint an attorney uh, for all juvenile matters. Uh, Now it has been clarified that we only have to appoint an attorney uh, for an action that was commenced with a petition. The petition is similar to a long form those get filed in juvenile court. Uh, I, I haven't seen a juvenile action in limited jurisdiction court that was filed with anything other than an ATTC, and uh, Title 8 does differentiate between an ATTC and a petition, uh, and the, the legislative uh, history um, also, the, the fact sheets also do make clear that we do not have to appoint attorneys unless there's potential jail time. So the only time we would have to appoint an attorney in in a limited jurisdiction court for a juvenile is for a DUI or for a second defense reckless, or uh, for those of you who, uh, no, the juvenile's not gonna be charged with horse tripping. uh, So we don't have to worry about horse tripping. And again, those were adopted on an emergency basis and will rule on uh, the permanence in December. And other things? Judge Huberman, you're muted.
0: So this is the other part of the administrative order that that we hadn't talked about, which is the civil lawsuits. Uh, So except for civil bench trials and jury trials that are presumed to be conducted in person, uh, everything else is presumed to be conducted remotely, and then traffic and voting proceedings are presumed to be done remotely, as well as small claims hearings. Um, the cruelty to animal cases, vicious animal hearing, livestock claims, civil marijuana hearings, all are presumed remotely. And um, there is always the possibility that uh, that the judge can Uh, require or encourage the parties to appear in person um, if there's a reason if you uh, mostly the concern um, is for when there's a need to present a lot of documentary evidence that's very difficult for self-represented litigants to be able to do uh, remotely or any other type of evidence or anything uh, for any reason uh, it just needs to be Stated that why you're making a decision outside of the presumption. Uh, but there's nothing that uh stops you from making those decisions. And the electronic signatures, this rule was delayed, if they didn't approve it, uh were very unclear as to why. Um, because now that we're doing everything remotely, having electronic signatures would have been, i mean, we're still gonna use them, but just, we just didn't have the, we now don't have the room. And, oh, you were gonna talk about this.
1: All right, the uh, ADOT omnibus bill, uh, there's a lot of uh, vehicle license tax and lots of aircraft stuff in it, uh, some of the ones that might be of interest to us is that instead of it's 65, the five-year five renewals of driver's licenses begin at 60, hence the picture of the angry older men. And uh, Bill 2673 adds 28-1526. If a person violates chapter three or four of this title, that's most of the moving violations, the department may assess points against the person's driving record for only one violation if multiple violations result from the same action or course of conduct. For the purposes of the section, the department shall assess the number of points for the violation that the department determines has the highest number of points. So, of course, the department means MVD. This doesn't directly affect us other than if, if you are not one of those persons who does talk about the assessment of points with defendants um, just you have to keep this in mind i highlighted same action or course of conduct because uh, i don't know what that means uh, does it if if you have an attc and it has um, speeding and um, improper lane change uh, and uh you know another violation on it they all happened at the same time um, but were they all the result of the same action or course of conduct? Um, so if you have a DUI and, and you have those uh, civil traffic violations that, that caused attracted the officer's attention, do those all become part of the same action or course of conduct? I don't know. Uh, that's going to be up for MVD to, to decide. It's interesting because when we do arraignments for civil traffic we have to tell people that they plead responsible to all of the violations. We can suspend the fine, but we can't do anything about the points. And now they may not get all of those points anyway. So uh, that that does it. It is interesting, and again, I'm not sure what that same action or course of conduct means. And then for yeah. Airbnb and uh, Judge Huberman, did you want to?
0: Well, I was just going to say that I've seen some tickets where they they charge, like, the leaving the scene of an accident and they charge the failure to stay at the scene. So they charge the subsection A and subsection B in the same ticket. So that one, I think, would be the same course of conduct. At least they wouldn't be getting the double points. But, but, yeah, I agree with the unsafe lane change and speeding. It doesn't seem like it's the same action, but.
1: Yeah, and yeah, I think a lot of people didn't understand how MVD works. Like, when someone is convicted of um, different DUI charges, if, if you have the A1, A2, A3, uh, it, if they're all, if convicted, MVD would look at that and only assess the eight points once. You didn't get assessed 24 points, so. I'm not sure if it just people didn't understand that, at least with respect to to that. Um, but this goes further than that, and this arguably could could wipe out everything other than the highest violation that's contained on a ticket.
0: Yeah, and I, and I wonder if they if they would expect, you know, if we had a hearing or something, they would expect us to make a determination if it was more than one act. Hope not. I,
1: <laughs> no, I think that is, is going to say thank you, but it does say the department shall assess the points. So, all right. And uh, this slide is about Airbnb's, uh, and, and I'll be honest with you, I use this GIF because I've been trying to use this GIF for a while, and I thought what what more appropriate for Airbnb's since they're just party houses. Uh, if you uh, are a city judge, there's lots of new stuff, and it does allow cities and towns to assess lots of fines. So look at that if if it matters. We're going to talk about a couple of rules petitions. In this one, I tried to get a a picture that looked like Judge Gerald Williams uh, because he had a petition that would allow uh, judges, uh, justices of the peace, to be precinct committee committee men. Uh, It does, it is committee men in statute. uh, And um, that was rejected without comment and then there was a petition uh, from a longtime small claims hearing officer uh, to uh, make several changes to the small claims rules that was also rejected without um, further explanation by the supreme court and we are going to talk about one case and if we go back to uh, part one i when I did this bill, I did say I'm not going to say anything about whether or not it's constitutional. Well, now I am. Uh, so 2319 would have added 133732, making it a class three misdemeanor uh, for a third person to video a police encounter within eight feet after a verbal warning. And uh, that was challenged by the Arizona Broadcasters Association and the U.S. District Court and um the district judge uh, did set a hearing and gave any agency wanting to defend the law a week to come forward no one did uh, so no one showed up in court to argue that this was constitutional uh so the the next step is for the judge to determine to have the injunction made permanent uh, i'm going to uh do my best karnak here and predict that it will be made permanent since no one showed up in court to contest it or or to defend it and judge duberman you're muted again
0: this because i'm using a different device uh we did uh, decide uh by administrative directive in maricopa county that uh the fair balance um, there should has to be a minimum of a one hundred dollar balance before a case is sent to Fair. So we should no longer be getting those cases with only the forty four or well, the forty five dollar warrant fee being sent to Fair. Um it it, it it was just um just so much work to put into fair, take it out of fair. Um there there's some concern that defendants will not know that they have a warrant if they can't be informed by FAIR Um, we don't seem to think that they get notice of the warrants through FAIR but um, once this goes into effect then we'll have a better idea. And then uh, so these are the changes that are coming on January 1st. Uh, The sealing of the criminal records the the ten print and uh, the new licenses for the DUI violations. I did want to add on this. I I realized that on January 1st, we're also the new district or precinct lines are going to go into effect. Those lines uh, were the ones that were used for the elections are being used for the November election, but Uh, as court jurisdiction, they don't go into effect until January 1st. So because we don't reject jurisdiction on civil filings, um, we just hopeful that the civil law firms, you know, try to to keep the filings within the the justice courts. Uh, But it is by statute, evictions can only be filed in the precinct where the property is. So those law firms are going to have to uh, make sure they get the new, the new boundaries and are filing in the correct courts. And we can't hear those cases if they're not filed in the correct court. And the same with criminal cases. I, I, I'm trying to think, I don't know that we have any lines that change more than a mile. So if they file in the wrong precinct, but it's within the one mile with a boundary with the, with the court where it was filed, the court can send it to the correct court. Um, so I think just, to, you know, we're, we're going to work with the clerks to make sure that they get familiarized with the, with the new lines. And if we catch them, we can send them to the correct court. All right, and just a reminder of the
1: three attachments that that we had. Uh, So, we did give you the uh, presumptive standards for our justice courts. That does include the chart to make it easier for you. Uh, We have the Supreme Court administrative order on lifetime injunctions, since that's not covered by any rule or procedure yet and uh the the new administrative directive that judge huberman just issued on the fair minimums those are in your attachments and we do have some time for questions thoughts or feelings any questions thoughts or feelings and i do have a link there where um, pretty much all of the bills and rule rule petitions
0: Can be found in Hightail
2: Charles and and Anna or Judge Huberman. This is um, Michelle. Question on the presumptive uh, hearings. When we, when we talk about um, that, it's going to be the presumption that we're going to have arraignments um, virtually. Does that mean we still need to be sending out telephonic um, paperwork to them ahead of time? Or is the fact that it's virtual, does that mean it's not telephonic and it's in person? Still a little confused about that.
0: So the the, the, the problem that we've had up until now with the virtual arraignments is that when defendants are stopped by law enforcement, they're given a ticket that says you need to appear on this date. And so mostly they've been coming in person on the date of their of their arraignment. Uh, those who call in uh, beforehand, either to ask or for whatever reason, uh, they have been given uh, the, the possibility to appear that day virtually or not. Um, so right now we're kind of in a rush to work with law enforcement to get them to change the language on the ticket itself, uh, at least to include, I mean, that's what we've been trying to determine what language do we want on the ticket and I'll accept suggestions. (laughs) Um, but right now it appears that the only thing we'll be able to put on there is the website, uh, and just have the officers tell them that they don't have to appear in person, that they will be able to appear virtually, and that if they go to the website, then we're still trying to determine what landing page they should go to and what their options will be on that landing page. I don't know if that answers what you were asking.
2: Yeah, it does a little bit, but, but do we still need to be sending out telephonic paperwork and and I guess what I'm saying is is by if by them attending virtually and if they if virtual means to them just calling in um, into the court Connect system and we don't actually see them does that warrant then having to send out that telephonic paperwork or is that not an issue? I mean
0: I know that there's some courts that do you know that they're more keen on the formality of the paperwork. and others are not. Um, I, I'd, I'd suggest that, you know, if the criminal rules um, are do allow for virtual appearance and do allow for telephonic, it used to be that in justice courts, uh, you needed a limited jurisdiction, you needed to be 100 miles uh, from the court in order to do so. They did away with that requirement. And so now all uh telephonic and video appearances are allowed as per the rules. I don't I don't send out paperwork if that's the question.
2: Okay. Thank you very much. Appreciate
0: mm-hmm. it. All right.
1: All right. Any other questions? Oh, we do have After January 1, civil traffic is determined at the hearing that the case was filed in the old, now wrong precinct. What do we do with it? Dismiss or transfer to the proper court? Uh, Well, if you if a witness has been sworn in, then jeopardy attaches. So if you determine that venue was improper, then you would dismiss it.
0: and, And just to be clear, those are only cases filed after January 1st. So anything that was filed prior to January 1st stays in the precinct where it was filed, even if that line later changes. So the jurisdiction doesn't change on cases that have already been filed. So we're only talking about future cases. Civil traffic is more complicated because uh, many times we may not even notice jurisdiction until, like Charles says, you're already in the hearing and it's too late. All right, any other questions? I guess everything is clear. Paul, did you want to add anything? You're muted?
1: Yeah. You're, you're muted. I just wanted to say thank you. Again, what a great show
2: you guys put on.
1: OK, uh, the, uh, thank you. The jet certificate is attached at the back of the packet. Uh, have a great day, everyone.